Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of sex work, domestic violence, and drug abuse that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Cruise down Rodeo Drive, and amidst the high-end retail shops, you'll come across the iconic Beverly Wilshire Hotel. The establishment is known for its luxury and the excessive wealth of its clients. On an evening in late 1989, 23-year-old Heidi Fleiss walked through the hotel's towering double doors, souped up on cocaine and quaaludes. She wasn't there to check in. Heidi was at the hotel to work. She was a call girl. Tonight was her first job. Heidi had been instructed to meet with a foreign client who wanted to enjoy a side of pleasure while he conducted business in town. He was upstairs waiting. If Heidi went through with the night's activities, she'd be rewarded with $5,000. Though she was nervous, high, and likely wondering if this was the kind of woman she wanted to be, the money's siren call was too seductive. Heidi took a deep breath, entered the elevator, and rode it all the way to the top. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Female Criminals, a ParCast original. You can find episodes of Female Criminals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Female Criminals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Female Criminals in the search bar. This is our first episode on Heidi Fleiss, a.k.a. the Hollywood Madam. This week, we'll dive into Heidi's childhood in Los Angeles. We'll explore how she went from being a waitress to a call girl and then, finally, to the leader of an escort ring. Next week, we'll cover Heidi's meteoric rise in Hollywood and how her braggadocious behavior would eventually lead to her downfall. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Heidi Fleiss was born on December 30th, 1965 in Los Feliz, California. Although the Los Angeles neighborhood was only a few miles from the glitz and glamour of Beverly Hills, it felt like a world away. Still, Heidi's family was well off. Her father, Dr. Paul Fleiss, was a popular pediatrician, and her mother, Elissa, was an elementary school teacher. One of six siblings, Heidi learned from a young age that if she wanted attention, she would need to stand out. Where other kids shied away from the spotlight, Heidi actively sought it out. She made home videos with her siblings and friends. Sometimes she would wear fashion-forward outfits that made people look over and point. Even in her youth, she imagined a life of luxury and attention. But Heidi's defining trait wasn't her thirst for the spotlight. Rather, it was the fact that she was too smart for her own good. By the time Heidi was 13, she'd begun babysitting. She became so popular in her neighborhood that she soon ran into a problem. Several parents wanted her to babysit on the same night. Even at 13, Heidi was incredibly business savvy. She had friends who also babysat, but unlike her, they often had trouble finding work. Heidi referred her friends to the parents clamoring for her services, but she didn't want to lose out on the money entirely. She demanded a cut of her friends' earnings, a placement fee, if you will. The charge wasn't entirely spurious. Heidi spent a lot of time ensuring that she made the right referral and pairing. For example, if she knew an interested family was incredibly clean and picky, then she'd make sure to send them someone who would do some extra cleaning after the kids went to sleep. If another set valued creativity, she'd send a girl who would make art with the kids. Anything to keep the client happy. Within a year, Heidi had 20 neighborhood girls in her babysitting ring. Since she was taking a cut of all their earnings, business was booming. Ironically, Heidi's financial acumen didn't translate to doing well in school. She found the classroom framework boring, and she struggled through most of her schoolwork. In the 10th grade, 15-year-old Heidi began skipping class regularly. She sweet-talked the school security guards into driving her and a friend to the Hollywood Theater. Once there, they would slip into the back without paying and watch movies all day. Before we continue with Heidi's psychology, I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. Though sneaking past the ticket counter seems an innocent enough offense, according to a study led by Dr. Elizabeth Taylor, transgressive acts like theft can be a gateway to bigger crimes. Often, kids who steal are impulsive and tempted by immediate gratification. Those characteristics make it more likely that they'll engage in more serious crimes later on. This was the case for Heidi. When she wanted something, she just did it. She didn't think about the consequences of missing school or stealing from the theater. And most importantly, when no one punished Heidi for her actions, she learned that she could get away with it. 
It wasn't long before 15-year-old Heidi found something that gave her even more of a thrill than sneaking into the movies. One day, she and a friend drove to Santa Anita Park, a horse racetrack in Southern California. Heidi had never been before, and she had no idea what to expect. However, her lack of experience didn't stop her from partaking in the proceedings. Heidi decided to place a $20 bet on an underdog horse to make things interesting. Then she found a place in the stands and waited for the race to start. With a crack from the starting gun, the horses were off. Heidi watched amazed as her long shot bet made its way around the track, gaining on the horses ahead of it. As she cheered, encouraging it on, Heidi felt a rush she hadn't anticipated. And then her horse won. In a matter of minutes, Heidi's $20 had become $1,000. By her own account, she was turned on by the instant gratification of the moment. After that, Heidi was hooked on horse racing. What started as a fun, impromptu decision soon became a full-blown obsession. Heidi spent all her free time at the tracks betting on the races. But gambling was expensive. To cover her costs, Heidi started selling pot. When that didn't prove lucrative enough, she began shoplifting and pawning her purloined items off for extra cash. In this way, it's clear that sneaking into the movie theaters really was a gateway crime. Yet despite Heidi's increasingly risky criminal behavior, she'd yet to suffer any consequences. So Heidi continued stealing, pawning her goods, and using the funds to pay her bookies. As her gambling habits grew, what small interest Heidi had in attending school disappeared completely. Noticing their daughter's indifference to her education, Heidi's parents tried to encourage her with an incentive. They told her that if she got good grades, they would buy her a car for her 16th birthday. Motivated by this reward, Heidi studied incredibly hard that semester and got high marks. True to their word, her parents bought her a car. And then Heidi promptly went back to her old ways, eschewing school for the racetracks. To keep her parents off her back, she began forging her report cards. Paul and Elissa Fleiss were none the wiser. Outside of encouraging Heidi to study, they had a relaxed approach to parenting. They believed that children learned at their own pace and that they should give their kids the opportunity to figure things out for themselves. After her 16th birthday, she hardly ever went to school. Instead, she chose to spend her time at the racetracks or out with friends. One of those pals was Victoria Sellers, the daughter of famous actors Peter Sellers and Britt Eklund. From the start, Heidi was attracted to Victoria because of her celebrity family and the circles she ran in. On the flip side, Victoria liked Heidi's spunkiness and sense of humor. The two became close friends. With Victoria by her side, 16-year-old Heidi decided it was time to hone in on the things she really cared about, gambling and partying. To that end, she dropped out of school entirely. Her parents had no idea. For a year, Heidi lied, pretending she was still attending classes. Too trusting for their own good, Paul and Elissa believed her. 
When they finally discovered that Heidi had left school and taken her GED, they were stunned. Nevertheless, they decided to respect their daughter's choice, opting not to force her back into the classroom. It's likely they believed that being strict would only make things worse. Furthermore, Heidi's parents were a little distracted. They'd been having marital problems, so they were too busy attempting to fix their marriage to worry too much about what Heidi was up to. After all, what was the worst that could happen? In July 1984, the Fleiss family received an answer to that question when 18-year-old Heidi volunteered to drive a group of friends, including her younger sister Shayna, to a nightclub. In the club's parking lot, Heidi took a turn too fast, causing her Jeep to flip. The upside-down car pinned Heidi's sister underneath its weight, and by the time emergency responders arrived on the scene, Shayna couldn't feel her arm at all. Ultimately, Shayna's injuries were so severe that she had to drop out of school to undergo six separate operations. Heidi, on the other hand, escaped the accident largely unscathed. This filled her with guilt. She believed the accident was her fault and her sister's injuries weighed on her conscience. And then, to make matters worse, Heidi's parents got divorced two months later in September 1984. In this, too, 18-year-old Heidi may have felt responsible. Had they separated because of the stress of the accident? Was it all her fault? The combination of these two events completely shattered Heidi's world. And instead of dealing with her feelings of guilt, it seemed she internalized them and started acting out. Up next, Heidi falls in with an exploitative new crowd. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the story. As a teenager, Heidi Fleiss took up gambling and dropped out of school to feed her habit. In 1984, after a horrific accident involving her sister and the subsequent divorce of her parents, 18-year-old Heidi was seemingly consumed by guilt and felt out of control of her life. Once the dust had settled from the divorce, she decided to live with her father and younger brother, Jesse, in a Hollywood apartment. She had always been a daddy's girl, so her father's home felt like the more natural fit. Moving houses wasn't the only transition Heidi underwent. To get out of the house and make some of her own money, she got a respectable job as a waitress at Cravings, a restaurant on the Sunset Strip. However, Heidi's resolution to change her ways didn't last for long. At her new gig, Heidi met Jennifer Young, Jennifer was the daughter of actor Gig Young, which made her tangentially famous. As with Victoria Sellers, Heidi was drawn to Jennifer's sheen of fame. She liked that whenever the two entered a room, people paid attention to them. Chasing that feeling, 
Heidi accompanied Jennifer to popular Hollywood clubs and A-list functions. One such gathering took place at Bernie Kornfeld's house. Heidi had initially wanted to skip Kornfeld's party, but Jennifer insisted they go. She practically dragged Heidi through the door of a huge Hollywood mansion. As soon as Heidi was inside, her whole attitude changed. She was in awe. She'd never seen such an excessively luxurious home before. As the door shut behind them, Heidi turned to Jennifer and told her that she wanted to meet the owner. Bernie Kornfeld was a successful financier, known for his wild parties and his interest in young women. It was lucky for him then that Heidi was working on developing a predilection for older men with money. And Kornfeld had a lot of money. So it was no surprise that shortly after meeting, the two began officially dating. Heidi was 19 at the time and Kornfeld nearly 60. Society is wary of age disparities like Heidi and Kornfeld's. They often accuse the man of being a lecherous opportunist. According to a study by psychologists Justin Laymiller and Christopher Agnew, there is a social exchange involved in May-December romances. However, they insist that the setup isn't quite as predatory as critics believe, stating that it only works if there's a favorable cost-to-benefit ratio for both partners. This analysis seemed to hold true for Heidi's relationship. While she conceded that it looked like she was dating her grandfather, she didn't care about how things appeared to outsiders. She was satisfied within the relationship. Furthermore, while Heidi may not have been attracted to Kornfeld without his money, that didn't mean it was the only thing she got out of being with him. She also held genuine affection for him as a partner. In other words, Heidi felt that there was an optimal social exchange where both she and Kornfeld were getting equal benefits. However, as many of her friends noted, the benefits she enjoyed were pretty great. Kornfeld's money allowed Heidi to quit her waitressing job. She reassured her parents that in addition to being her boyfriend, Kornfeld had also hired her as his social secretary. In reality, Heidi wasn't working at all. But even though she didn't care, she knew that her parents might view her relationship with a much older man as being less exploitative if they believed that she was simultaneously advancing her career. With her parents buying her cover story, Heidi took off to travel the world with Kornfeld. They vacationed in the Bahamas. They took a trip to his French estate, and everywhere they went, Kornfeld showered her with expensive gifts. For nearly four years, Heidi lived a first-class, red-carpet life. It was exactly what she had imagined for herself. She was happy, for the most part. Kornfeld was generous, but he wasn't faithful. Heidi wanted him to be monogamous, but he simply refused. It was the main sticking point in their relationship. Eventually, it became a deal-breaker. Not only did Heidi constantly feel betrayed, but she also found Kornfeld's infidelity humiliating. If 22-year-old Heidi couldn't keep a much older man faithful, what did that say about her worth? It made her look terrible. So, in 1988, after almost four years of being together, Heidi broke up with Kornfeld. 
After they split, Heidi returned to Los Angeles. She didn't have Kornfeld anymore, but she wasn't ready to let go of the high-flying life she'd grown accustomed to. She would do whatever it took to keep her status in Hollywood. In the meantime, she needed a place to live. Luckily, her friend Jennifer Young needed a new roommate. Heidi moved in immediately. While living there, she got to know Jennifer's mom, Elaine. She learned that Elaine sold real estate to stars like O.J. Simpson. Heidi loved the idea of working so closely with celebrities, so she decided to get her own real estate license. She believed that being a broker would help finance the lavish lifestyle she hoped to have. Motivated by that end goal, Heidi passed her real estate test the very first time she took it. Despite this early success, Heidi lacked the follow-through to make real estate stick as an occupation. She was likely deterred when she realized that it would take years for her to reach Elaine Young's level. Heidi wanted to be rich now. Furthermore, she wanted to have fun while making money, not slogging from open house to open house trying to make a sale. So instead of investing her time in building up her real estate career, Heidi went clubbing. And in 1988, there was a lot of cocaine going around. Heidi took to the drug immediately. At first, she only did it when she was out with her friends as a social lubricant, but it didn't take long before she started doing coke every day. As she grew more addicted, Heidi lost all interest in her real estate career. Six months after passing her test, she had made zero progress towards trying to sell a house. Instead, Heidi decided that her best bet was to meet a new man. She just had to figure out where to find him. One night, 22-year-old Heidi went out with friends to Helena's, a popular nightclub. There, she crossed paths with 50-year-old Ivan Nodge, a mid-level Hollywood director. Hailing from Hungary, Ivan had directed two television episodes of Starsky and Hutch, along with a handful of small films. His career was already on the decline, with most of his money coming from the bookkeeping he did on the side. Of course, Heidi knew none of this. She thought Nodge was exactly like Kornfeld, older, wealthy, and part of the celebrity crowd. As for Ivan, he saw Heidi as a sparring partner. He believed she was a woman who could keep up with him. The two hit it off right away, and shortly after their first meeting, Heidi and Ivan were a couple. They shared an intense connection. This was in part because both of them had serious gambling and drug problems. Once Heidi got to know Ivan better, she realized that he wasn't as wealthy as he'd initially let on. Their dual gambling habits meant that there was way more money going out than coming in. Adding to his flaws, Ivan was aggressive. He constantly fought with Heidi. Occasionally, their altercations reportedly came to physical blows. Over the next few months, a toxic cycle began to emerge. Ivan would fight with Heidi, and then to recuperate, both of them would engage in their shared destructive tendencies. It was a pattern Heidi couldn't seem to escape. And then things deteriorated further. 
Ivan racked up a gambling debt of $450, about $1,000 in today's value. It was a seemingly paltry sum, given the bravado of success Ivan projected, but rather than simply pay it off, he got creative. To settle his debt, some claim Ivan sold Heidi to a well-known Los Angeles madam who was looking for new escorts. Up next, Heidi becomes a call girl. And now, back to the story. As a young woman, Heidi Fleiss had a predilection for older, wealthier men. First, she dated financier Bernie Kornfeld. Then she fell in with a small-time TV director, 50-year-old Ivan Naj. The latter relationship went south when Ivan racked up a gambling debt and allegedly sold 22-year-old Heidi to a madam. In the 1970s and 1980s, sex work was rampant in Los Angeles. That was in part due to a woman named Elizabeth Adams, or as she was more popularly known, Madam Alex. Madam Alex had built an empire of Hollywood call girls, becoming both wealthy and notorious as a result. She was always looking for new recruits and often had close acquaintances pass along leads. Ivan was one of those men. He always had young women around him, and sometimes he introduced them to Alex, for a fee, of course. Now, Ivan owed a $450 gambling debt. Maybe he couldn't manage to scrape together the money, or perhaps Ivan just didn't want to. After all, his relationship with Heidi had been growing sour. He might have viewed pimping her out as an easy way to distance himself. Whatever the reason, Ivan brought 22-year-old Heidi to Alex. Heidi had no idea that he had acquired girls for the madam in the past. She thought this was simply her boyfriend suggesting a new, creative way to make money. However, Heidi was hesitant to go along with the plan at first. After all, it wasn't her gambling debt. Her reservations fell away when Madam Alex regaled her with tales of how much money she could make. Cash that would be hers, not Ivan's. Already counting her future riches, Heidi agreed. Despite bringing her on, Madam Alex wasn't immediately impressed with Heidi. She called her a 5 out of a 10 in the looks department. Fortunately, that was easy enough to fix. Madam Alex gave Heidi a makeover. She sent her new recruit on a shopping trip to Neiman Marcus. There, Heidi was instructed to buy conservative outfits. After that, Alex had a list of endless grooming requirements. Heidi was sent out for facials, manicures, waxing, the whole nine yards. Through it all, the usually spunky woman dutifully complied. She was willing to do anything to speed up her future payday. Heidi never debated the legal issues surrounding sex work. She was young and she felt invincible. Furthermore, both her and Ivan were still gambling and using drugs. Heidi needed a way to keep funding her habits. This toxic marriage of using illegal activity to fund illegal habits is actually pretty common. According to sociologists Christopher Eugen and Melissa Thompson, there's a substantial overlap between individuals who use drugs and those who are willing to take on high-risk, high-reward jobs. 
they seek out the possibility of substantial illegal income to cover the cost of their addictions. The risk-taking behavior increases significantly if the individuals have ties to other successful offenders, and they often report high illegal earnings. Heidi saw how wealthy Madame Alex was, and she wanted the same success. She thought to herself, if an aging woman could break the law and get away with it, surely she could too. In November of 1989, after engaging in all the stringent grooming Madame Alex demanded, 23-year-old Heidi finally got the call she'd been waiting for. Madame Alex told her to report to the Beverly Wilshire Hotel for her first client. Nervous, Heidi reached for her stash of drugs. She did both cocaine and quaaludes to calm herself down. Even if she was ethically unbothered with what she was doing, it didn't mean she had zero anxieties. With the help of the narcotics, however, Heidi was able to keep her wits about her. She arrived at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel and went upstairs. There she came face to face with the man who had ordered her. As she'd been instructed, Heidi had sex with the man. Afterwards, he paid her $5,000 in traveler's checks. Heidi handed over a $2,000 cut of the earnings to Ivan, and the rest of the money, it was blessedly, wonderfully, all hers. Heidi loved the cash, but from that very first night, she knew she wasn't a very good sex worker. In fact, by her own admission, she was terrible. When other girls boasted about their ability to perform certain sex acts, Heidi admitted she was the worst at it. It wasn't that Heidi didn't enjoy sex in general, but she didn't like the performative aspect that the men required. She was used to just showing up and being herself, not whoever a man wanted her to be. The type of guys who paid for escorts spanned all walks of life, from Wall Street stockbrokers to local grocery store baggers, However, many of them were looking for more than just sex. Some had intimacy difficulties, others psychological issues. They turned to call girls like Heidi rather than the women in their own lives because sex workers were supposed to be constantly ready to cater to their specific needs. According to gender researcher Gunda Schumann, sex workers generally accept their customers unconditionally and offer intimacy on demand, despite their true feelings. For Heidi, this would have been particularly difficult. She wasn't the type of woman who was willing to be submissive to a man's every desire. However, while she may not have been good at the customer-facing side of escort work, Heidi took an immediate interest in the business side. She started spending more of her time helping Madame Alex behind the scenes, and soon a new thought started to take hold. Heidi started to dream of becoming a madam herself. As the idea grew, Heidi studied Alex's methods. Alex wasn't the elegant madam one might imagine. She was middle-aged and had a myriad of health issues that caused her to spend most days in bed. She may have held her girls to high standards, but personally, she was more of a frumpy, grandmotherly figure. Furthermore, Heidi noticed that Alex didn't have her finger on the pulse of the city. And yet, while other madams got busted, 
Alex stayed in business. Heidi discovered that this was because Madam Alex had supposedly been sharing secrets with the LAPD for the last two decades. The informal arrangement was a quid pro quo. So long as Alex kept feeding LAPD officers information, they turned a blind eye to her escort ring. Alex had a personal code about who she ratted on. She never turned on her big clients or her harmless Johns, but sometimes her girls would tell her about pillow talk with clients who were in the pornography business, or even worse, she'd learn about Johns who wanted to have sex with underage girls. Those guys were fair game. Alex had no problem slipping their names to the cops. Heidi wasn't sure what to think about this arrangement, but she never challenged anything Alex did. Instead, she dutifully aided the madam with her business. Heidi helped arrange dates for the girls, matching them up with the right clients, very much in the same way she'd arranged babysitting appointments in her youth. By keeping her mouth shut and putting her skills to work for Alex, Heidi learned a lot from her boss. Her most illuminating lesson was about the importance of earning a client's trust. The Johns were engaging in an illegal activity after all, and they had to be confident that they were safe from consequences. Heidi watched Alex reassure customers time and time again that when she promised complete discretion, she meant it. A quick learner, Heidi used Alex's tactics against her. She made it her first priority to gain Alex's trust. Alex grew so at ease with Heidi that she never imagined her assistant was dreaming about taking her throne. Heidi's professional life was starting to take shape, but she was floundering in her personal life. Though she was making lots of money, she promptly spent all of it on drugs. Her habits worsened, and Ivan did nothing to help keep her in check. In fact, he made things worse. Heidi and Ivan fought constantly, sometimes at his house, but on other occasions, their violent altercations took place in the apartment Heidi shared with Jennifer. Initially, Jennifer tried to intervene, but eventually, she'd had enough. She kicked Heidi out. True to form, Heidi turned to Ivan to pick up the pieces, but he was no longer a solution. One night, he reportedly punched her so hard that Heidi knew she had to make a change. Ivan was too violent, too abusive, and she didn't need him anymore. In a rage, Heidi left him and filed a restraining order. She'd later drop the charges, but the sentiment behind it remained. She and Ivan were done. In 1989, 23-year-old Heidi's breakup came shortly after another life-changing event. Madam Alex was arrested for pandering, or in legal terms, recruiting sex workers and soliciting clients to engage in their services. Alex would have to go to court to deal with the legal charges. Apparently, the LAPD hadn't been getting quite enough information out of her to justify preventing her arrest. As Alex dealt with the authorities, Heidi saw an opportunity. Like most madams, Alex had a little black book that consisted of all her clients' contact information. 
Heidi knew it was the ultimate source of power, and she wanted it for herself. Some say she stole the book from Alex. Others say Alex might have given it to Heidi for safekeeping. There was even a suggestion that the two had some sort of agreement where Alex still got a cut of the business's earnings while Heidi temporarily took over. However she got it, once Heidi found Madame Alex's black book in her possession, she had a decision to make. Did she remain loyal to the woman who had taken her in and taught her the ropes? Or did she strike out on her own and betray her mentor? Heidi chose to take the book and run. It was time to make a name for herself. Less than two years after first being introduced to sex work, Heidi Fleiss was now on the brink of becoming a madam herself. As far as she was concerned, Madame Alex's approach to the job was outdated. Heidi was determined to do things differently. Where Alex had kept a low profile, Heidi wanted to be in the spotlight. She would have fun being a madam, and now with Alex's little black book, she had the perfect place to start. Heidi picked up the phone and dialed. She called everyone in the book. Each time she gave her practiced spiel, she told the Johns that she could set them up with the hottest girls in town for a rollicking night, full discretion promised. And one by one, Madame Alex's clients agreed to make the switch. With Alex embroiled in a police investigation, it was an easy and clear choice. Stay away from the authorities, go with the safe option. Madam Heidi Fleiss was officially in business. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with part two of Heidi Fleiss's story. We'll follow Heidi as she becomes the Hollywood Madam, and we'll explore what eventually ended her reign. For more information on Heidi Fleiss, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Vanity Fair profile, Heidi Does Hollywood by Lynn Hirschberg, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Female Criminals, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Female Criminals on Spotify, just open the app and type Female Criminals in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Alex Burns, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson.